You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. Good morning, Hope. My name is Sam Davidson. Uh, My wife and I have been attending Hope for almost four years now. If you would, stand with me for today's reading. Our passage today is Philippians 1, uh, verses 12 through 21. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel." The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Welcome to this first Sunday of 2024. And wow, we are glad that you are here. We've missed you over the last few weeks as we met on um, one service for Christmas Eve and then online last week. If you did not join us online last week for our table talk concerning the topic of that of Second Advent, I encourage you to go to any of our platforms, our website, and check that out. It's, it's a great uh, tool for you as well to give you a great understanding of how to wait well for the coming of Christ. So we're going, we are in the middle of a series preaching through the book of Judges. If this is your first time here this morning, we preach and teach expositorily verse by verse here and preach through books of the Bible. But today we're not in the book of Judges. We start back next Sunday. So I encourage you to be here with your journals to join with us as well for our continuation of our series in Judges. But I want to talk to you about the new year. And, you know, this is the first Sunday, so we get an opportunity to have that discussion together. And and I thought a lot about New Year's sermons, and they all kind of normally start with real cheesy kind of uh, titles as well. And most of the time, their titles are resolution or purpose or something about new beginning or destiny or change or a reboot. Well, I didn't want to disappoint you today, so I wanted to give you a cheesy title, right? And so today is the eternal reset, the eternal reset. So I thought about the word reset a lot, and it's a word that we're familiar with because of our age of technology. And so, you know, a lot of things in our life we reset. We can reset our phone. We can reset or reboot a computer. We can reset other things in our homes as well in electronics. There are, there are just regular resets. There are hard resets. And then there are factory resets. You know, I didn't think I would ever know those kinds of things, right? But it's almost part of our uh, vocabulary now as well. You can reset your password, which you should do often. You can reset your network settings. You can take some time away from all the grind of your daily life and to go away somewhere for a reset, we call it, or refocus. 
Then you can have moments of silence, which we're going to do in just a moment, or a moment of solitude to reset yourself and your perspective of things. You can also practice that of the spiritual rhythm of Sabbath in your life, and that is a way of, of resetting. You say, Mark, I am so glad I came this morning. I thought you were going to go back to the book of Judges, you know, and it's really a challenging book to study, but I'm so glad because I really need a reset in my life. I really do. But I think what most of you really think or really need, or what you think you need, I should say, is a better way to put it, is that you feel that you need an erase in your life, right? You need to kind of erase a lot of things. And maybe you want to erase some people in your life. And I think if that's the case, then maybe there are different issues that we should discuss later on, perhaps privately as well. But yet the Bible, when I look at the Bible and understand the Bible and the text that Sam just read so capably to you and I as well, that when you look at the Bible, that that of reset and erase, well, they're really two different things. And when I look at scripture and we're looking at the life of Paul for a moment together, then that of a spiritual biblical reset doesn't always mean that everything around us changes. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, I think more than that, that it means that there is a change that takes place within us, but many things around us remain the same. So I I want to kind of build all of that out together with you in the book of Romans chapter one, verse 12. Let me tell you this. Paul is writing from jail. Paul has done his best work from jail. I think it's an interesting thought, isn't it? So he's done his best work from prison. God is using him to write the epistles in prison. And this is what he says again to us. I think it's worth reading again. I want you to know, brothers, he said, for a moment, get ready, because there's something you have to hear. When the apostle says, I want you to know, it's one thing for me to say that to you, but I believe it's another thing for you to hear the apostle Paul say that, because you need to really listen to what he is about to say to us. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I think that can be very confusing as we first read that, right? Because that's not what I'm wanting in my life, right? I'm not wanting that to necessarily, I don't want that to, uh, for prison to be that, for me, or jail to be that, or my struggle to be that in my life. Because, man, I have my finger right on the uh, erase button, and I want to erase all of these things. And what Paul is saying, hang on for a minute. Before you go there, there's more than meets the eye in these verses. And he goes on to say, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my, and here's the words that really cause your ears to go on edge, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Wow. You say, Mark, you should have chose a better translation, right? Yeah, so it wouldn't say that to you and I. What you really mean, and Mark, let me correct you. What you really mean is that, well, God just allowed this. And, and, and that term is an interesting term, God just allowed that, because actually what we're saying when we use that terminology is that at some point, God stepped away from Paul's life and just allowed the courses of life to take place. God took his hand away from him for a few moments in a season. And then God kind of watches all this happen. And then when God is ready, he steps back into Paul's life. Is that really the way that we think God works? And I would tell you that we could probably talk for hours through scripture to show you that that is not the way God works. 
Let's read on. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, there is a greater purpose for this, is what he's saying, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So I think in order to understand this this morning, we have to take a, a pause, a reset for our lives, that it doesn't necessarily mean that the chains are going to go away as Paul finds himself chained between two Roman soldiers. But what it does mean for you and I is that in these moments when we are struggling, in these moments when we feel like that there is some type of chain that is confining us and binding us in life, that we need a reset to take a moment and see how God works in the middle of all of those things. So here's the first of three thoughts. The first is this, press pause daily. And again, I apologize for the technology inference here again, but press pause daily and see the hand of God at work in your life. Here's Paul. He's writing from prison. Before he gets to verse 12, he actually is praying in prison as well. It's a prayer. But he just can't pause the event that he finds himself in the middle of. This is not like some Netflix miniseries that you can press the pause on the remote for you to go and get some more popcorn or soda or, or whatever that you need. No. But what I realize is this, as you can't pause the events of your life, but you can pause your mind and your heart. You can take a moment for reset. Reset. You see, this is what, well, I preached this so, I don't even remember how long it was go, ago it was, but we talked about the power of the pause. When you redeem those moments in your life, the in-betweens, when you redeem those quiet moments in your life, the set before God in silence and solitude, and you listen to God, and you recount the goodness of God in your life, and the supremacy of God, and that the sovereignty of God, knowing that all of life is lived through the hands of God himself, so that God has all of this under control, and where you are today does not take him by surprise doesn't. God is not surprised. So you've wished the person next to you, good morning. You know this if you come to Hope at all. This is sort of a participatory, participatory, is that the word I'm looking for? It just doesn't come out, but whatever kind of thing, right? That we all kind of get involved, right? And, and so turn to the person next to you and say, God is not surprised where you are today. Could you say that to them for a moment? Then say to them, but I am, right? Yes. Like, I can't believe you did that, right? Why, why, are you, why are you in this mess that you're in? Correct, yes. But God is not surprised. He's not. That God is in the middle of all of this, that we see God's hand, but it's so difficult, isn't it? When you are processing all of this stuff that's going on in your life, to see God's hand in the middle of it. That's why I think there has to be this pause and understanding. Here's what Paul says. My imprisonment is for Christ. These are not random events that are taking place. This is God's hand working in his life. And you say, but Mark, so you're saying if Paul has come to the realization, this is God's hand working in his life. And he's chained between two Roman soldiers. He's awaiting this trial but Caesar, who is, has unquestionable authority about your life and the way it kind of ends as well, then Paul is really happy about where he is. And he's joyful. And he's just kind of like, wow, I love here being here chained. And that's not the truth at all. No. I think if you take the human element 
away from these texts, then you lose a big part of it. Let me take you to the book of Acts for a moment. Let me show you how Paul really feels about this. It's Acts chapter 26 and verse 28. It says, well, well, let me give you some context for a moment. Paul is again in jail. He ends up all the time in these kinds of situations. And so he's in jail again. He's standing there in chains uh, before King Agrippa. And he has just given his testimony about his Damascus Road experience with Christ And he says, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul is making a pretty good case for Christianity and for Christ. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would, I would to, I would to go, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. And I think, yeah, that makes sense. But look what he says afterwards. He says, except for these chains. Paul said, I don't wish this on anyone else. I really don't. No, there's a human side of me that is not enjoying where I am, but yet I'm taking a moment to reset, to change my perspective, and I see the hand of God in the middle of all of this. Let me take you to the Old Testament for a moment. It's the book of Isaiah, chapter 26 and verse three. Here's what it says. It says, you keep him in perfect peace. That's what I need in my life, Mark, yes, Look what it says, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That we take a moment in the grind of our life and the rhythms of our life and all the responsibility that we have, regardless of your age, you have responsibilities in life. Maybe unless you're like my, my little grandson who's one year, one year old, Garrett, well, his responsibility is eating, sleeping, Loving on Papa and Grams. I mean, that's a good one, right? Yes. And then, you know, well, evacuating himself so he can eat more. Correct. I mean, that's what he kind of does. Yeah, exactly. But yet, he's, that's his responsibility in life. So it starts very young. And, and what I realize is this, that it's very difficult to see God's hand in my life in the middle of all of these things that I have on me. And you're going to have those things because this is not about erase, but this is about reset. To take a moment and pause. And know that God is working to stay your mind on him. Because when you stay your mind on him, he brings you perfect peace. Even when he doesn't make the chains fall off. Wow. Have you ever, have you ever practiced that? Have you ever practiced a pause in your life? You know, have you ever just been set before God and you were completely quiet and, and, and you just not even talk to God with an audible voice because you don't have to speak to talk to God because God knows your mind. He knows your heart. He does. And, and, and you just thank him for his goodness and his sovereignty and his supremacy over your life and that where you are is not a surprise to him that he's very well aware. And so you realize that his hand is working in your life for something greater. So can we do that for a moment? I just want to practice. I think it's fun, right? Now, understand this, being quiet and silent in church, for me, you know, uh, being raised in my ecclesiastical background is that as I was raised as a Pentecostal. So the louder it got in church, the better, right? Yeah, so that, that was it. And uh, if, you, if, you, you know, if you've been there, you understand what I mean, right? So silence in church is kind of awkward. It, it really is. But I want us to do that for a moment. Would you just do that? Not saying a word. Not looking at your cell phone. 
not thinking about, man, when I get home today, I'm gonna do this and I gotta do this and Monday I have this on my list. You know, just for a moment, pause. If you had a pause button, press it and just pause and just sit in silence for a moment and think about God's goodness. Think about God's grace in your life. Think about his supremacy and his sovereignty that he knows all things. Do you see how a pause can be a reset for you in life? But Mark, I still have this thing that I'm gonna have to face when I go home or tomorrow. I know, I know, I understand that. And yes, God can remove those things, but many times God will leave us in the middle of those things because God is building out something greater within us. Yes. Some of you said, boy, that just sounded like the church that I was raised in. You know, it's totally silent, right? Yes. Thank you for not snoring as well, right? That would have been a bad time to fall asleep, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely, because I would have called you out. I really would have. In love, I would have called you out. Yes. To take a moment. You say, but Mark, the way I see this text is that the Paul is just making the best of a, a bad situation is really what Paul is doing. Can I tell you that Paul would have never said that his imprisonment was for Christ if he was just making the best of a bad situation. This is about God fashioning and molding our lives in the middles of those moments for his glory and for his greatness. Because when I look at Paul and I look at this moment in his life, what I realize is that here between two Roman guards is where Paul writes Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon and all, all, all of those prison epistles. So pause for a minute to stay your mind on him, to see him work in your life. Because here's what God is doing. In those moments of struggle, in, in, in those moments when not everything is lining up in your life and they seem to not going the way that you want, God is molding you and building something in your life. Let me show you a text, and I gotta move on real quick this morning. It's John chapter nine and verse one, and it says this, and it's a great story from the gospels. It says this, and, he, and as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, speaking of Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of Christ or the works of God might be displayed in him. There's something bigger taking place here than what you see just with your eye. It's exactly what Paul is teaching us in Philippians. He goes on to say that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. 
There's a purpose, Jesus says, behind what is going on here. And that is that I was sent to work the works of my Father to make him known in the world. It's, it's the way that of the incarnate Christ worked. And it's the same thing that Paul is teaching us in Philippians. And he goes on to say, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That Jesus then connects who he is with what he's about to do. Has, and having said these things, he spit on the ground. He made mud from the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, he said, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And I thought through this text a lot. I really did. And what this means to you and I is it lines up with our text from the book of Philippians. Uh, and, and what I realize is that, well, it's about how God works in the middle of these situations. And, you know, his disciples, they ask him this question, who sinned? And he said, neither one of us sinned. It's because God is going to reveal himself in the middle of what we see as a very tragic moment in this individual's life as well. And then he establishes who he is, that he is the light of the world. And that is what he's saying is that it's going to be revealed in the middle of all of this because of what I do. And then he does something very odd. And he's God. He doesn't have to do this, but there's some reason why he does this. And so he simply kneels down and he grabs some dirt from the ground and he, he scoops up that dirt from the ground. He spits in it. Now, this is Play-Doh, okay? And I'm not going to spit in the Play-Doh. Pastor Jordan loaned it to me. I don't think Hope Kids would want it back, right? If I spit in the middle of this Play-Doh, but Jesus spits in the middle of it. He makes this kind of compound with all of it. And then he places this compound over the eye of the individual. And I want to tell you, it wasn't the compound that Jesus makes from the dirt and his spit, his saliva that healed this individual. It was his words. It was who he was. So why does he do this? Have you ever wondered why Jesus did that? I think there's a powerful reason here for, that Jesus does this, and it's for you and I to understand this morning. And that is that it takes us back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, it says that when he created man, he created you and I, humankind, from where? What did he create us from? The dirt, right? Explains a lot about us, doesn't it, right? Exactly. He creates us from the dirt. He breathes life into us. So why does he create us in the first place? Was he lonely? No, he is not lonely. Why does he create us? He has a very distinct purpose for that. And he creates us, why? For his glory. It is. So he fashions man in his image and in his likeness, and he creates us for his glory. He forms and fashions man in the middle of a world That he just spoke into existence. And he brings his greatest creation to life. Humankind. He forms and fashions humankind. You see, God's work in our life, as in the book of Genesis, as forming and fashioning, is still God's work in our life today. That he takes us in these situations and circumstances of our lives. And he forms us and fashions us into his likeness and into his image. 
He forms us and fashions us into looking more like him so that he is glorified and his glory shows through my life and your life so that we can make him known to others around us. So I think if you take that understanding that God is in the business of forming and fashioning us, even in the middle of these things, as he started in the book of Genesis, as he still does now, as he illustrates that day in the gospels with that blind individuals, then you take that and you lay that over your situation and where you are. What you see is you begin to see the edges match up. And you pause and you take a moment and you say, God, what are you doing in my life? Because I know this has not surprised you, but God, this is for your glory. And I trust you that you are forming and fashioning me for something greater than myself. It's a powerful thought. It is. So I got stuck on that thought for his glory. Read chapter, read chapter one, verse 15 again with me. And some indeed preach Christ with envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. There's a tension between these people that are preaching the gospel while Paul is in prison. Some are doing it out of envy and rivalry. Others are doing it out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment is what he said. So here's the second thought. And let me kind of flesh this out for you in a moment that we need a reset in our thinking when it comes to the glory of God and being fulfilled. Why? Because I think sometimes we see those two things as being diabolically opposed to one another. We do. That we see the glory of God and, and that of you and I being fulfilled in this life as not being compatible at all. There were those that were out there preaching while Paul is in prison. And they're preaching with the wrong motives. But they're preaching the true gospel. I think it's what makes it confusing sometimes, doesn't it? So people are coming to Christ. There's fruit from the gospel and not necessarily their motives at all. So why would you live in that state? Why would you live in that state of that of selfish ambition and that of the gospel? Why would you live in that hybrid type of state? Because they don't trust God that he can fulfill every aspect of their life. So they hold something back from God is what they do. They love God but they're not in love with his lordship over their life. They love God enough to surrender to the call of preaching the gospel, but they fail to surrender all the other areas of their life to his supremacy. They have these ambitions that they want to meet in life, but they're not willing to trust God to meet those ambitions, so they try to meet them on their own, and they don't submit that to the glory of God in their life. I think it's interesting. It's how you and I live. It's the thing that the enemy sells us in our life that in some way that God's desire to be glorified in and through my life and your life and our need to be fulfilled in this life are incompatible. It's the tension that we deal with. So this this was very personal to me because... It took me back to my call to vocational ministry that God called me when I was 12 years old. You say, why would God call you 
when you are 12. Ask God, okay? That's, that's his thing, not mine, right? Because at 12, you, I mean, 85% of your brain is not even developed yet. You're only functioning on 15%, right? I mean, think about 12-year-olds. All the 12-year-olds in the room love you, but, you know, I mean, I've had three of them, correct? And so I understand, right? I do. Yeah, they're 12. They think they're 25 or whatever. But, uh, but I thought, you know, when God called me, I remember summer camp, summer camp, at, after the service, I'm praying down front and, and I'm by myself and, and I feel the presence of God in my life. I don't hear an audible voice, but I feel the presence of God and I feel God speak to me so powerfully. It, it was so clear. And, and I knew that God had called me to ministry as, as a full-time vocation and called me to preach. I, I knew that. And so being the obedient 12-year-old that I, that I was, you know, what did I say to God? I said, no, no way. No, not happening. Not this guy, right? It's, it's not going to happen. Mark, why would you say no to God? Because I remembered a sermon that had been preached, and I was, I was raised in church, so I, I remember a lot of sermons. And, and so I remember this sermon, and it was about something that David said in First Chronicles, but it came to my mind at that moment when David said that I would not offer a sacrifice or a burnt offering to God that didn't cost me anything. I wouldn't offer to God something that was cheap, is what he said. And so that stuck in my mind that this is going to cost me something, so this is going to be a debit for my fulfillment account, right? And so I'm not sure that I can ever be happier fulfilled and that of allowing the glory of God to show through my life and surrender my life to the glory of God. And so I found myself in that moment of tension between the two. And I lived that way for almost 10 long years. I remember them. Yes, if, if my parents were alive, then you could ask them and they could tell you they remember them well because I was a terrible, terrible teenager. I was, I was, I was awful and terrible to get along with because I continually fought with this tension because I was truly convinced that I could never be fulfilled if I was going to surrender to God completely for the glory of him in my life. So Mark, what do you want us to do? Go tomorrow to our jobs and, and quit and come and, and come on staff at Hope Fellowship. And no, that's not what I'm saying to you at all. Don't misunderstand me. No, don't have enough office space for all of you, right? Yes, that's the least of our issues, I guess, right? Say, right? No. But there's been moments in your life. Maybe when you find yourself like Paul and you... Hear the enemy that says to you, if God is going to be fully glorified in your life, then you're not going to be fully satisfied in life. But it took me a long time to come to this conclusion and understanding. And I'm going to tell you how I got there. That, that of the glory of God in my life and that of my fulfillment are actually inseparable. They're inseparable. And what rocked my world in understanding that of God being glorified through me and how that looked for me was Matthew chapter 22. Let me read this to you for a moment. Matthew 22 and verse 34. 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer. I think that's why lawyers get bad raps sometimes. I know we have attorneys that attend church here and, and I, I feel for you as well, all the lawyer jokes and stuff, right? And because you kind of associate this, but I think that's where it comes from perhaps. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, and this is what changed my whole world when it came to that of the glory of God in my life and surrendering to that is that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That this was really more about a love relationship than a fear relationship. This was much more about love for me than it was just of a loss for me as well. That you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great in the first commandment. And the second is like this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because you see, in talking about this with you, that I'm not questioning that your love for God, even those that were preaching out of selfish ambition, and when Paul was in prison, I'm not necessarily questioning their love for God either, because they're preaching the truth of the gospel. They are. But what I am questioning about them and what I would question about us in this room this morning is this, but, that, but are you in love with God's sovereignty over your life? Are you? Is he greater than all other things in your life? Understand it. And above all things, because the more I fall in love with his lordship over my life, the greater he is glorified in and through me. The more I fall in love with the lordship of, of, over my life is what what he's talking about to you and I, because I think it's one thing to say that I love God, yes, but it's another thing to embrace and love his lordship over my life. It's a difference between dating and marriage, right? When you date, when you date, that, that there's always this avenue to get out, because why? Because when you date someone, I mean, it, it's a... It's like a trial run. It's a determination as to whether this is going to be your mate for life or not. So there's a way out. There's an avenue out. And I think some of you keep that with God as well. But when you become married, it's for life. And at least that is the way the Bible has designed it to be. And so what I realize is that it's a difference between those two. That are you in love with God's sovereignty over your life? That he is supreme over all things of your life. You say, Mark, what is that? Is that, is that a, like this just momentary thing with, that happens over me and then I leave and, and that's the way I'm? No, I think it's, it's, it's a process in your life. It's baby steps. It's where you start today by loving him with all of your heart and by loving him with all of your soul and with all of your mind, that everything about you, that he is supreme over everything. And the more that I'm in love with his lordship over my life, the more I become like him. So verse 19, and this is where we end this morning, verse 19 in a moment. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And you say, oh, well, God's gonna bail him out of jail. Well, that's not necessarily true because listen to what he's gonna say as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed or, or that I will not be let down, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. By the word honored, write the word magnified. Same word, that Christ will be magnified in my body whether 
by life or by death. The last thought before we pray together is this, Christ be magnified in me. Christ be magnified in me. And the word magnified is an amazing word that is used there because it says to cause his greatness to be seen in us. It's not that you're gonna take something small and try to make it great. No, we're talking about the, the supreme creator and sustainer of all of the universe. We're talking about the sovereign God of the universe today. It's not that you're taking something small and trying to make it great. No, but that his greatness is seen through your own life. And Paul says that I want this to happen, the glory of God to be seen in my life, whether I am dead or alive in every season, everything about my life and who I am. May God be glorified, his greatness seen in and through my life. Look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Wow. Paul says, hey, if it was up to me, then God, go ahead, man. You call my number. I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm done with all this. No more chains. And God, if it were up to me, that's what I would do. But yet he submits that very desire of his own life to God because he says in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He said, even my desire to go to heaven, I submit to you, God, for a greater purpose. And what he's saying is this, that heaven is great and that's where I want to be. But what I realize is that that's that's not ultimately what this life is about. Ultimately, this life is about that of me becoming more like Christ, his glory being shown through my life so that I will make him known to others. And then heaven is a result of that is what he's saying. So I I even surrender my desire for heaven And to be with Christ now for the greater work of God through my life. That we're living every moment of this life. Knowing that there's something more than this life. That I live everything about, I live every moment and and everything about my life is lived with an eternal edge. That there's more to me than what you see in this life. I think it's important to understand that. So last Sunday, when we were online only, I got up Sunday morning and I'm such a person of rhythm and habit. Talk to Reba. She can tell you it's bad. It is. It's bad. You know, I've shared with you some of my issues. It's like a group counseling session, isn't it? Thank you. And you don't charge me. That's great. And I got up Sunday morning and I said to Rebecca, I got up my normal time, which is about 530, or I'm sorry, five o'clock and And after a while, we looked at each other and we said, both of us, you're just as bad as I am. I love you. That's why God put us together, right? No, you're actually better than I am. But anyway, yeah, rephrase that. (laughs) All of you forget that remark, please. And 
And we both looked at each other and said, we can't stay here. What are we gonna do? And I said, let's go to the church. So we got cleaned up and we didn't come over here in our jammies like some of you guys watched, right? We, we got dressed and we came over here and we walked in the lobby really early and we sit for a while and sat for a while and God just began to speak to me. And I, and I walked outside and I took this photograph that morning, real early. It's a beautiful day last Sunday. And I sent this to our staff. And I said to them, is this how our parking lot will look on the Sunday after Christ's return? Because this is the time when everybody should be here and there's nobody here. And that hit me just so, so much weight to that thought. And then I text them and I said, I think perhaps it will be filled with cars. And then a wave of grief came over me and I just got very teary-eyed because I thought that for 17 years with our preaching team, I've, I've primarily been the one that has been telling you this would happen. But through the grace and the mercy and the redemptive work of God in my life, I won't be here that day to tell you what happened. grieved me. And so in staff meeting Tuesday, I showed the staff this photo again and we talked, we read about the second advent from scripture. And I said, our goal, as simple as it is, is to make sure on that Sunday after the return of Christ that our parking lot does look like that as much as possible. that I live every day with an eternal edge to it. That every relationship I have has an eternal edge. That every moment at my job, every family event has an eternal edge because there's more to this life and just being chained between two Roman soldiers in a jail in Rome, waiting a hearing with Caesar. But there's something that God is doing in us for him to be glorified to the world around us. so that the Sunday after Christ returns, this is the way it looks.
but with your days filled with all of the requirements of your life and all your rhythms. Not bad at all. Your responsibilities, you have them and you should be diligent in caring for those things in your life. How often do you go day to day to day without taking a pause and resetting your life to realize that God is doing something inside of you so powerful that it's out of this world so that you will fall more in love with his supremacy over your life and his lordship so that he will be glorified and he will be magnified through you so that the world will see him in your life. Life is really pretty simple when you boil it down, isn't it? That life is more than just your family. Life is more than just your job, your profession, your businesses, your accounts. Life is more than your marriage. Life is about Christ being glorified through you. And then all of those things come out of that. So live this year with an eternal edge about everything that you do. Everything that you do. So can I pray for you for a moment and pray with you, please? So Father, change us. May we take a pause in our lives to see your hand at work. God, help us to realize that there is more to us in this life than this life itself. That Rhythms and responsibilities have a way of causing us to forget what is most important and most excellent. And that is that you are glorified through us. That we pause and see your hand at work, even in the struggles. We know that just as you molded us from dirt in the beginning, you're still molding us today. That we live and breathe with an eternal edge. Because this life, as we know it, will change. Father, the the photo of this, your church is a reality that there will be that morning God help us to pause every day and know our greatest call is for you to be glorified Christ be magnified in me is our prayer Christ be magnified in me
Thank you, Father. In your name. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.